0: This episode of the Tony Robbins podcast is brought to you by Tony Robbins Results Coaching. Are you ready to experience an extraordinary quality of life? Or maybe you're already doing well, but you know you can take your life to a whole new level. To do that, you have to set yourself up to win. You need a process, a way to consistently grow and produce the results that you need. That's what a Tony Robbins Results Coach can do for you. Whatever area in your life you want to change, your relationship, your health, your career, your business, coaching is one of the most valuable tools you can have. It's an investment in yourself and it can yield some of the highest returns. Tony Robbins' Results Coaches are hand-selected and trained by the master of coaching, Tony Robbins himself, to have the skills that will empower you with supreme focus, powerful insight, and the accountability needed to achieve everything you've ever dreamed. To help you get started, Tony is offering podcast listeners a free Results Coaching Strategy Session with one of his top coaches. It's a $200 value and you're getting it for free. Visit tonyrobbins.com/results Schedule that free session today. Welcome to the Tony Robbins Podcast. Forgiveness, love, fear. What do these words mean to you? In this episode, we are bringing you an immensely powerful conversation between Tony Robbins and Dr. Gerald Jampolsky and Dr. Diane Cerencioni about what it means to truly forgive Let go of fear, relinquish control, and find real intimacy. Dr. Jim Polsky, a graduate of the Stanford University School of Medicine, is a world-renowned child and adult psychologist. In 1975, he established the first Center for Attitudinal Healing in Marin County, California, where people of all ages, faiths, and cultures have a welcoming space to find inner peace and well-being. His wife, Dr. Diane Cerencioni, a clinical psychologist, has been working alongside him since 1981, and she is also a current faculty member of the University of Hawaii Medical School. Between the two of them, they have published 16 books, including Love is Letting Go of Fear, Teach Only Love, and Goodbye to Guilt. They've received a number of international humanitarian awards, including one of the American Medical Association's highest honors, the Excellence in Medicine, Pride in the Profession Award, for contribution of attitudinal healing to the mental health field, for inspiration to others and for decades of humanitarian service. Over the last several decades, this husband-wife team have been traveling the world, helping others find peace in their hearts and minds through love and forgiveness.
1: We're here in Tiburon, California, above San Francisco, and I'm really excited tonight to share with you an incredible couple, uh, two people they're going to share with us a great deal about this thing called love thing that we most value in life, that most of us chase so much rather than come from the place of, and how love can really heal our relationships, how it can we really heal our physical body, and how we can really maybe even enjoy a whole lot more of our life through that experience of love as an ongoing way of living rather than something, again, that we chase. And the two people I'm going to be uh, have the privilege of introducing are Dr. Jerry Jampolsky, who uh, you're probably very familiar with. If you're not, you soon will be. Uh, Jerry wrote a book that's pretty famous, millions of copies in print, called Love is Letting Go of Fear, and nine other books since then. He's a very famous psychiatrist who lectures around the world and really shares with people what it really takes to heal. He's also the founder of the Center for Attitudinal Healing, and with him is his partner, and his partner in life, Diane Cerencioni, who also works at the center, and she works in a whole variety of areas. She's very strong within her corporate background before she met Jerry and they developed a relationship, and currently she works in helping people with AIDS. She's the founder of the Women in Transition seminars, and really has trained people cross-culturally, around the world, and fundamentals for really making their life work. I just want to start just by thanking you both for being here and taking the time. I really appreciate it. Our
2: pleasure.
3: Thank That's you, great.
1: One of the books is Love is the Answer. Those of you who are not familiar with and probably the most famous book, and the founding book of your philosophy is uh, Love is Letting Go of Fear. And uh, my wife read that book many years ago, and it really made a major difference in our life, and she was excited for us to get a chance to meet you guys. And I read it just recently and found um, the message to be, I think, the most important message of all. And I'd like to start out, before we talk about the message, talk about both of you so people have some background on you. And maybe starting with you, Jerry, if we may, um, you were extremely successful, still are, but extremely successful psychiatrist. You had start out in, I think, 1945, really, with your education, working with other people. And back in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, you went through some major challenges. I understand you had some challenges with alcohol and in relationships. Maybe you could share with us where you were
2: and what really turned you around. Well, I came from a belief system of my parents that said yesterday is awful, today is horrendous, and tomorrow is going to be worse. <laughs> <How exciting. laughs> so uh, it becomes very difficult to experience too much joy. But they were really martyrs. Their purpose in life was to, to really have their three kids have an education and right. have things that they didn't. And I had dyslexia, and i wasn 't able to learn to read, right. and so uh, I felt love was dependent on, on being able to please people, and uh, that didn 't work very much right. but somehow, I managed to get through medical school and went into practice and, and made a lot of money all you the know, things my, my parents wanted me to do. but I ended up really feeling a sense of emptiness inside I really didn 't know what that was all about until many years later, and meeting Mother Teresa when she talked about spiritual deprivation, that was what I was suffering from wow. and um, a 20-year marriage went sour, and I, I turned to alcohol. And uh, I was really in, in, in crises, and I, I was a militant atheist at the time, although my, my background uh, very early uh, had been a, a very religious one. What happened to me was uh, I came across some books called A Course in Miracles that i never heard about before. I didn't even like the name. And just reading one page, I had a most unusual experience that I heard a little voice inside saying, physician, Heal yourself, this is your way home. And that really began to change my life, because here was a a way out of my dilemma where you could live one day at a time, having peace of mind as your only goal. Forgiveness was a real function, and learning to listen to the voice of your heart, living in the consciousness of giving, where I was really pretty much involved in myself first, wanting everything myself, and was really involved in getting rather than giving. Did, what turned you around? Was it having just so much pain that you
1: had to find something new? What, what, what was well, the well,
2: trigger? For, well, well, for me, uh, I was still going down. I was being stopped by the police. Uh, my medical oh my license God. was in jeopardy, and that still didn't turn me around. It was really the course of miracles. Uh, I began doing those daily lessons. And uh, shortly thereafter, I was at University of California Medical Center, mm-hmm. and a little kid on rounds was saying, what's it like to die? And the oncologist didn't answer the question, changed the subject. And all of a sudden, I got some guidance that maybe these kids need some help at helping each other. And I started the Center of Attitude and Healing back in 75. And that really started out because these young kids started to help me look at life differently, look at death differently, and made me feel that I was lovable. Most of the time, I was very afraid of relationships and didn't think I was lovable. I was really scared of intimacy. And then along came Diane. She oh, straightened that, was, that, that was much later. That, oh, okay. Uh, we've <laughs> known each other about 10 years now,
1: right? Right. Yeah. Well, Diane, I'd like to hear a little bit of your background, though. A lot of people have to go through tremendous pain before they create changes in their life that really work. Did you have to go that path, or did you go a smoother path in your own life?
3: No, I think I went through a pain like everyone else, Tony. Mine wasn't in the spiritual realm, though. I've been pretty comfortable with that since I first came here. But mine's been more in the personal development as a woman. A woman born in one generation and really during changing times, where we were told that life was to be one way, and then we got there and we said, wait a minute, this package isn't what it's pegged up to be. And I really um, went through lots of changes, finding out who I was in the business world, ten years in the corporate world, and fourteen years now having my own businesses, three of them, and I still currently have one and i think that journey has been a real powerful one for me because of course it's not just the journey of a woman it's always the journey of men and women together and how we see ourselves the changing roles and the role models really started to fall away one by one and as an individual i felt that i really actually had to continue to you know create my own and when jerry and i came together in relationship we found also that the old models didn't work for us anymore Both of us had been married once before and both had been divorced for 17 years. And we really feel that um, there was a lot of healing that had to happen. We never had uh, remarrying as a goal, although we did that this last year. But it was only after we had, thank you, it was only really after we had been able to look at relationships in a totally new way. So, Love is the Answer is really a journey of looking at relationships from a brand new perspective and hopefully helping others to free up, to look at their own relationships and create what they really, really want in their life, which you really share with people in all of your work, to do it in a very deep, personal way, in the intimate way, and to no longer really sell out because we're so afraid. In order to do that, that we have to really look at our fears, look at the things that have caused us trauma and pain over the years, look at our unhealed relationships.
1: I agree. Uh, One of the seminars I do that I think you're familiar with, at the end of it, we have people do something very physical to convince their belief systems that uh, their fears are usually false evidence that appears somewhat real. Let's talk about what is real. And I think what really is real that we both share in common as a belief is love, that love is really the essence of life and connection. I'd like to hear from you. What is love? What is it really? And what prevents us from really just experiencing this natural reality all the time? What blocks us?
2: Well, I think we have egos that... uh have a little message that says, seek but don't find what you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're out there still trying to think uh, uh, that's going to be out there, and whenever we get that, it doesn't kind of work. You know, we're out there trying to control relationships. Uh, the ego thinks that relationships are built on trade and bargaining, and uh, that doesn't seem to, to, to work very well. I don't really think love can be defined by anyone. I think it's something that has to be experienced, but certainly some of the attributes of it, gentleness and kindness, uh, really unconditional love to me means really having no expectations on the other person, making no assumptions, and really totally accepting that person and giving that person that space for that person's own independence. Right. Where my formal relationships were always based at uh, I came first and they had to sort of fit into my mold. In fact, there's a wonderful cartoon on, on, on page 80 of the book. Maybe you can share that, Diane, you know, that one where oh, the guy's shoving the... The woman through
3: know, the wall. It's uh, a wonderful image of a... Of a, of a an average sized woman in average width sort of large with a long nose sort of frizzy hair and behind her is her spouse pushing her and she's got her heels dug in with this terrified look on her face because he's trying to push her into this large wall with a mold at it of this 5 foot 10 gorgeous woman and up in the caption there's a heart with wings on it and the caption says love flies away when we try and push others into our mold mm. So I think many of us are just afraid
2: of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Intimacy really means into me see. And we put so many fences around us because uh, that we've all had painful experiences. And many of us keep those painful experiences alive and burning. So we can't really have a whole relationship if we're still tied into some unfinished business in the past. And that's one thing that we think is so important to be able to work on one's unfinished business of the unhealed relationships. In our workshops, we find 75% of people, we ask them, how many do you have relationships with your parents that aren't 100% healed? And whether it's in Japan, the United States, or Germany, it's about 75%.
3: Always, and it's never less. Wow. And I think one of the real important things to look at is that we think it's the relationships that are going awry now, but it's ultimately those ones way back when. And your question was, you know, why is it so difficult to love? You know, and how come it's so scary for most of us? I think it's scary, Tony, at least I found for myself that when I was a child, there were things that happened that were really frightening. With I had my heart wide open, and many of us do, because we're very vulnerable and beautiful as children. And then as the world seems a little scarier, we close up our hearts and we start to move up into our heads. Right. And it feels safer because we realize that, you know, if I learn that one plus one equals two in the world, and the world agrees with that, I can get along real well. And if I learn 2 plus 2 equals 4, and I can do extremely well. Well, you know, I learned 8 plus 8 equals 16, so I succeeded everything that I do. But, you know, that doesn't just make you happy. You have to have more than that. Because it's, so many of us are very successful in the world because we've developed skills on creating environments around us that are well-controlled and safe. But we have the illusion that if we think we can control people, we will be safe. And in reality, we can't you know, and we won't be safe. So we're talking about taking that journey, the longest journey in the world, back out of the head and into the heart so we can begin to use the intuitive forces that we have and use this wonderful brain of ours and and our developed skills to facilitate whatever it is that we feel we need to do in the world. So it's integrating, once again, the mind and the heart.
2: It's sort of reminding us what, what the purpose of relationships were. And we have egos that thinks the purpose of relationships is to judge everyone to find out who's guilty and who's innocent. So it really produces a lot of separation. But the real purpose of relationship is for joining. And if we begin to discipline our minds to ask ourselves, you know, is this thought, is this action, or are these words going to bring about joining? Or are they going to bring about separation? I remember when I was raising my kids, I'd ask them, what do they do in school? And my kids are pretty normal. I said, well, same old thing, Dad, not much. Uh, and they sort of knew that that was a negative question. I wanted to find out what they did wrong so I could make them do it right. <laughs> you see? And they knew it was an attack question. They knew it wasn't a very loving question.
1: So they didn't want to tell you very much at all. They didn't want yeah. to give me any, anything
2: you could pick apart. Huh? Absolutely. Uh, and I think we need to really ask ourselves uh, that kind of question. Uh, the questions we're asking, Loving, uh, is this going to bring about joy? And it's a very important question. Another question is, do you want to be happy, or do you want to be right? Yeah, exactly. Because we're making other people wrong and ourselves right. We're going to cause separation. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be right or do you want to be in your love? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people
1: think that control and love are the same thing. And I think they discover emotionally that they're Mm -hmm. not, but they don't know how to change that. What do you tell somebody who has had these painful experiences and are allowing those experiences from the past to control them? How do they let go? Forgiveness, I assume, is a major part of it, but how? How do people do that?
3: Well, one of the things is to realize the reality of what's happening. Most people, most of our pain, in fact, all of our pain, has occurred at least from a minute ago until the time we were born. What people don't realize is that what they're experiencing now, they think is still happening, but it really happened back then, and they feel like a victim. Tony, because they can't go back and do anything about that. Someone gave us the definition of forgiveness once, and it was forgiveness is giving up all hopes for a better past. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to change. No matter oh, how it. much grief you have over it. And the reality is that that experience, it's true. Maybe at that time you were a victim, and you couldn't do anything about it. But what remains now isn't that experience anymore or that person, but it's your thoughts and your attitudes and your judgments and your perceptions about that experience and you know it's your thoughts and your judgments and your attitudes and your perception and you can do something about it because it's your mind and if you change your mind you really can change your life so people really come to realize that, oh wait a minute now, you mean that person who did that to me that was so horrible isn't still causing me pain? You're right, It's, it's my thoughts. If I had amnesia for a moment I wouldn't be in pain any longer. So we're not saying to forget it, we're saying that now you know what you're dealing with. And you can do something about it.
2: Perhaps the first step though is not to try to love that person because the ego is going to say that person's unlovable. We think the first step is to have peace of mind. Peace of God is your only goal. And then you can get in touch with the anger. A lot of people really are not touched touch with the volcanic anger they may have around that. I think you really have to bring that up, experience it, and then decide does that really bring you peace of mind? A lot of us enshrine that anger for a long time, right. and we really can't find peace of mind and justified anger at the same time. So part of that process is, is to recognize that you need to have peace of mind as your only goal, and recognize that the ego will never forgive that person. The key word is willingness. Right. We, we need to have the willingness to be and to realize that we have a guide here in this heart of ours, a higher self, that really can take that anger and transform that into love when we have the willingness to live in the present and not be caught in the past because we can't find peace of mind if we're caught in in grievances and anger of the past
3: people also feel really victimized by their own unforgiving thoughts and one of the things we like to do is to have people talk about why they haven't forgiven somebody and do you know that after fifteen or twenty minutes we have to cut it off because there are so many reasons why people don't forgive But you know primarily they don't want to let the person off the hook or that if they forgive the person the person might then think that they agree with what they did yeah, and they may do it again and, and they don't ah the other is the fear that it'll happen to me again right. if not by that person by somebody else right. and so there's lots of these reasons and when someone really gets in touch with that then they can begin to deal with it you know one of the greatest underlying fears we have and i think the underlying fear that permeates all of our problems one is the fear of separation from something or someone, whether it's a parent who has a child who's life-threatened or someone in a relationship with someone that you love and they're in love with someone else. Or if you you've have a, a position, a job, and you've mm-hmm. lost that, loss of, of lifestyle, or if you're addicted to drugs or alcohol, then indeed, you know, you're, you're ostracized from society. The underlying fear of separation permeates every single problem we have without exception. Oh. So we help, We we're trying to have folks look at when they're really upset whether it's about relationships or whatever say what is it that I'm afraid of being separated from or who is it that I'm afraid of and what is it that I'm attached to and and do I still want to continue to hold on to this attachment
1: those are great questions Uh, one of the things that I teach people is that your experience of reality is based on what you focus on And whatever you focus on continuously, you'll feel. In a room, you can be in a great room with great people, and you focus on people fighting, then the meaning of that room is there's a fight. If you focus on people in love, you're in love. And that questions do control what we focus on. It's how we take control of our mind and allow our body, our emotions, our soul to really come out. One of the questions I have for you, though, is there are many philosophies, and I'm wondering if you agree or disagree with this. I think a lot of people believe the only way to transform something is to go back and re-experience it and re-evaluate it. Is it possible, do you think, for someone to create a whole new meaning in something in a moment, rather than having to go through long, laborious processes? In other words, I know my own personal belief is that um, it's never too late to have a happy childhood, (laughs) that uh, part of the process is learning to find a new meaning, and that some of the worst experiences in people's lives have sometimes turned out to be their best. Well, you'd never want to go back to them. That experience caused them to be sensitive today and has made them more loving today or made them more gentle today or a better parent today or it altered their life's destiny their entire path because of that terrible event so they wouldn't want it again but when they see it in the light of a new meaning oftentimes that seems to heal so i'd be curious do you agree that meanings can be transformed and secondly how do you really help people to change some of those meanings in a short period of time
2: well tony i i think you have to ask yourself the question how long does it take to forget yes and we have an ego yeah. that says, well, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not ready yet. And, That's and then, how motivated and then, you are then, to well, forgive, me Well, maybe huh? a week, maybe a month, uh, maybe the rest of my life, or maybe even after that person's in hell. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're very resistant to one to. but you know, my answer to you is it only takes one second. You don't have I to agree. reanalyze all, all the kind of stuff. I think it's important to be aware of how you feel. Yes. And then decide. Not suppress it in Yeah, words, not to suppress it. I not, agree. And I, I agree. think a lot of people uh, think they're supposed to suppress their anger or deny their anger. And I think we have to really honor that anger, but that doesn't mean we have to put it on another person. Uh, or wallow different. in it, for that matter. Wallow in it. It doesn't mean the other person has to change. That we only have to change our own mind. Attitude and healing is based on the premise it's not really people or conditions that cause us to be upset, it's only our own thoughts and attitudes toward people. And we can do something about that. That's the one thing we can do is change the thoughts in our mind. That's what you're doing in your work. That's what we're doing in our
1: work. So behind all thoughts, I think behind every action, obviously, is a decision. Behind all decisions are beliefs. Beliefs help us to determine what things mean. And one of the most powerful things about both your works is that you are offering people core belief systems. And if we adopt a belief system, we evaluate things differently. Things mean something different. And therefore, we feel different. We aren't stuffing. We're transforming meaning. So I'd be really curious, what are some of the most important beliefs that the two of you live by in your relationship, for example, that make your relationship such a great role model? I'd be curious.
2: Well, we start the day with a prayer. It's like putting the rudder in your sailboat. Most of my life, I didn't have a sailboat. It was rudderless going all over the place. And that we want peace of mind as our only goal, peace of God, that's our only goal. It really sets your course for that day. That's one of the first
3: things. One of the first things. And I think we also try and keep in mind that a belief system that works for us might not work for someone else. And of all the work that we do, Tony, one of the things that we emphasize to every single one of our audiences, whether it's you know individually working with someone or as a group, is that nothing we're going to be talking about has to do with a form. In other words, there's no shoulds or shouldn'ts of what you should do in order to be happy per se. What we're talking about are choices. Right. And that, and and however you choose to forgive, not forgive, is none of our business. It's your option. And if the way you're feeling today, you wake up tomorrow morning, doesn't work for you any longer, you'll know that you're not a victim, that you really can do something about it. So I feel that our work really is based on, and our work together individually as well as with others, is based on helping people open their minds to begin to see other ways of looking at what's going on in the world. I
2: agree. I used so, to have relationships also that were built on a lot of withholds. I felt if I really would share my truth, that I'd be abandoned. And I'm not alone in that. A lot of people follow I'll me. See, I'm not of <laughs> abandonment. If you try to ban me, I'll just follow you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I'll put that even another is way, Jerry, is one of the greatest fears people have is that if you if you really knew me, you could never possibly love me. Yes, you
1: hear that all the time. Yeah. Yes,
3: and yet intimacy, intimacy, mm-hmm. as you said before, is one of the things that we want the most and one of the things we push away. You know?
2: Another thing about a relationship that is different for me than other relationships is that it's an equal relationship, yes. and that's a whole different thing because uh, it used to be that I had my own chauvinistic kind of ways of dealing with things, and uh, things had to really be my way. And that's a whole different way of of looking at it.
3: You know, we all come from from different generations. And each of us have our own lessons to learn. And I think that we're strong teachers for each other. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that Jerry and I share is a deep willingness to really create an extremely equal relationship on every single level, and that's without exception. And when you come from old models, you're constantly challenged by that. And even after, you know, 10 years, each day it comes up for us. But I think that we both have the willingness to really make that real for us.
1: So what is a relationship between you? What, how would you define that? What is your description of it? I'd be curious.
3: First of all, I would say that our primary relationship isn't with each other. Mm-hmm. That it's with this source which created us. We both have an equal commitment to service in the world. And our, we both share a common goal, which is wonderful. And that is um, peace of mind and peace of God. In whatever word. God is such a confined word. I mean, however, someone wants to describe that. And our relationship was really based on supporting each other in every possible way. I really trust and respect Jerry's own personal guidance on how he's to live his life and what he feels his um, daily intentions are and the work he wants to do. And I have spent my years now tearing up the scripts that I have for what I think that Jerry should or shouldn't be doing because I think as you come closer in relationship you tend to say oh yes I know exactly what he'll do we're constantly tearing it up whether it's on the stage whether it's during this interview whether it's you know any day of our life whether we're gardening or whatever I want to give him all I I really don't want to give him space because it is his space I don't want to interfere with his space and I want to give every possible loving support. And I would say exactly the same thing in return. I think that you give what you receive in the world. And you have to be willing to, you know, really go for a relationship with yourself if you expect to have it with another person. You have to have that integrity and honesty with yourself and be willing to have the courage to really look at your own, your own pain, your own flaws, etc., and be willing to do something about it.
2: We don't have a conflict-free relationship. You know, we have our struggles and our challenges every day. I mean, one, Most people are glad to hear that. Oh, well, oh yeah. I mean, One of the things that... What uh, turns that around? What comes up and what turns it around? What, what, what turns it around uh, oftentimes is three words. I love you. Those three words are very helpful, but no, lots, 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 that's, that's
3: not what you want I'll to usually hear when you're in an argument or L-l-lots something. Sometimes that word
2: may not be appropriate.
3: <laughs> <laughs> this but, isn't about loving right? you. That's not
2: how you're feeling at that
3: moment. Okay. Okay.
2: But I need your help. I to what? say, please help me, Your Honor. You you okay. Please help that's me. Exactly. It's amazing yeah, what that can do to the heart. Yeah, I'm and right Diane's able to ask me that, then I can not see her as dumping on me, and I can listen. Uh, uh, and she says, "Well, I feel like I want to be insane for a few minutes. I'm going to take responsibility for my thoughts. I know I'm not a victim, but here's how I feel."
3: That it seems to me yeah. like you're making me unhappy you know. now. No, I, I know it's, it's only—I know it's only my perception, <laughs> Jerry. But I, are you in a uh, place where you can, you know, help me and listen?
2: And if we're not in that place. We'll make an appointment to see each other. And now <laughs> yeah, we, we,
3: we do when know, you change
2: state. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, but, but yeah. We, exactly. we don't let that go. Well, that day somehow coming together and being able to discuss, and I think that's really very important.
3: And what that message really tells me too is that okay, well, Jerry's really feeling insane at the moment, and if he didn't use that message, I would immediately want to get on my lawyer's cap and say, you know, wait a minute, I have all my reasons why Jerry's totally misinformed here. I obviously didn't say it well enough, or long enough, or hard enough, or loud enough, or well, often enough. He not listening enough. thinking. right. He didn't listen Let's hear the to truth me, here. right? And, and you know, that was the old way of doing it. You yeah. know, and of course, he's going to ultimately agree with me. You know. Of course, our minds are all insane, you know, we, right. we think everybody thinks the way we do. But this way, I know that in the end of it, what really, Jerry really wants is not for me to agree with him. He wants me just to hear him. And then I know at the end of that, he'll be calm enough to hear me. And, you know, invariably at the end of the listening period, my perception and his has always been altered. Because you really have listened. It's very difficult to listen.
2: You know, writing a book together is an interesting experience. Well, I like that smile when you say the word interesting. <laughs> well, well, look at the Carters. They almost got divorced. That's right. And one of the things in writing a book, as you well know, sure. that it's very easy to become attached to what you wrote. That's your own creation. That's right. You just like, wrote a, like
3: the, one of your children, you know? <laughs> I just wrote the best thing in the world, you know? And I thought, oh, this is so profound. And I take it over to Jerry, and he goes, I don't get this, Dot. <laughs> I mean, there you've got your challenges.
2: And it was very interesting. Uh, we, we did an outline on the book together, and we signed each other different chapters, and then we had this interaction. But what's there now, we don't know who's, who restarted that chapter. It's so That's in, nice. in, in, Interacted, and, and it really brought us closer together. That's
1: neat. Yeah. I think one of the most powerful, at least for me, beliefs that I pulled out of A Course in Miracles is the belief that however somebody responds to you, no matter what it looks like, but all responses are either either a loving response or a cry for help. And uh, that's really changed my life and how I perceive people. It doesn't matter what it is, whether they're, you know, angry at somebody or they're ill or whether they've cheated on their husband or wife or whatever the case may be, I look at it from that perspective. So that belief has really affected my life, my ability to not be judgmental, I still do it, but not be as judgmental and be more connected to people and love people more. So I'd like to know from your perspective, why is that belief so important? How can it really change our life? And uh, how has it affected you?
2: Well, I was probably one of those provocative persons you'd ever want to meet most of my life. And uh, I thought I was here to judge people, really. And that's why I was a psychiatrist. I could put people in categories and <laughs> tell you who's neurotic, who's psychotic, not realizing. You know, I had my own insanity, too. Yeah. And uh, I often thought if I could rewrite the nomenclature for the American Psychiatric Association, it would just be one page, one line says that we're insane if we're not experiencing ourselves as love and giving that love away. So why that particular statement is so important that it's possible to see only two emotions in the world, love and fear. That people are either loving or that they're fearful giving us a call of help for love. If we just look at our eyes and ears, it sure looks like those people are attacking us. Right. And if we're just gonna pay attention to what our eyes and ears say, we're gonna be in trouble because. Our ego will attack and defense and will go in that round and round circle doing that. And we'll respond
1: to a cry for help with our own cry for help. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So we'll see justification of attacking back. But if a person, if I'm yelling at you right now, and rather than you're feeling you're a victim, if you could see that I was very fearful right now, if you chose to see me as fearful, your heart could open to me, or vice versa. Right. And that's the secret, to be able to perceive that that person is fearful, giving a call of help for love, that allows our heart to open allows us to reach out, because that's what it's all about. I think our purpose here in life, for me at least, is that we're here one second in time to love, to forgive, and to be of service, to help other people. So how do we help someone to forgive who doesn't feel like
1: forgiving? How do you teach someone who's got so much hatred and anger inside in that moment how to really let go?
2: Well, let me just give you one, one example. In the book, uh, One Person Can Make a Difference, and the first chapter is a story about Zelinda. Now, here's a woman whose 19-year-old son was murdered 10 years ago. And uh, she wanted to keep the guy in jail who did this for the rest of his life. He kept coming up for parole. She found that her main object in life was to keep vengeance and hate going. That was really her, her main, main object. Right. Her hair was falling out. She had skin disease. And she read Love is Letting Go Fear a few years ago and then became a student of the course and began listening to a linear voice saying, hey, there's another way of doing this to have peace of mind is another way of doing it. And she began listening to her heart, tell her what to do, said to visit the man who did, murdered, she didn't want to do it, but she did. And after she began seeing him for a long time, she began seeing this guy differently and did an amazing thing, helped him get out of jail. Wow. Amazing. She now what a worked. healing she, experience. You know, she now left Idaho. She's back at our center working with us. She has a healed experience. Oh, she lives in a community where people think, well, this is crazy, you know, you, you, don't, you don't forgive. There's some people do things that you don't forgive about. That's what our egos would say. What and I would say is that we'll never find peace until we can not exclude anyone from our love. We have to see everyone as our spiritual twin.
3: I think there was a wonderful story, Jerry, of, on your first trip to Australia, and I wasn't with you, oh, but no. about the um, man who was interviewing you on the radio. It's a perfect example of, of seeing someone as fearful or loving, and you might want to share that story. Well,
2: not to me, I, I, if you've been on a radio, I'm sure everyone loves yeah. you, but maybe you come along with well, someone doesn't. not everybody else. loves maybe, me. <laughs> maybe you see some who not well, anyway, I was on, on nationwide Australian radio. And this guy didn't like love was letting go of fear at all. And he kept really? putting his knife out there, and it's doing this. And my old lawyer trip wanted to come out. And then I all of a sudden I said, why, why don't you do what you write in your book? You know, <laughs> <What a concept. laughs> See, the guy is fearful. So I started seeing the guy as fearful. I didn't understand why I was fearful. And I said, I'm just going to send him love and peace. He may not change. He didn't change. But I left feeling a lot more peaceful than when I was started that interview. Yeah. The next night, I was lecturing 3,000 people at Town Hall. He was in the front row. I can why was the guy in the front row when he didn't like anything I said? And then the uh, next day, I got a phone call from him saying uh, he had some problems. Could he come to see me? And his voice is very gentle. And we spent three hours with each other. And he left really healed. And what came about was that most of the people in his life always created another anger against him. I was the You're only right. one that he ever met that he could trust because I didn't get angry back. I yeah. saw that he was fearful. Yeah. So really a, a vow, uh, in my own defenselessness, my safety lies. That's one of the affirmations that we find very, very helpful. Seeing just people as loving or that they're fearful, not seeing them as attacking us.
3: There's a wonderful cartoon in Love is Letting Go of Fear, also, that is, you see a man standing there with a lampshade over his right. head. He says, I can choose to see someone's light instead of their lampshade. And when we talk about giving, a, someone's either loving or giving a call of help for love, it doesn't mean that, oh, they're giving a call of help for love, I have to jump in there and save them or do anything. What it does is it gets rid of our need and desire to attack back. And then we can go inside and say, what do I need to think, say, and do in a harmonious way to respond to this situation?
1: I think that's really important because I think a lot of people think that they have to resolve something in the moment or they have to turn yeah. somebody's view around in the moment, and out of that, yeah. they end up pushing really hard and they don't give people what they really want, which is a sense that they're hurt or a sense that they're loved or a sense mm-hmm. that they're connected with. And I think uh, what's beautiful is that you're really practicing what you preach, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to meet with you guys because I've heard so much about you, and you are what I would call congruent—you walk your talk. And I know you make mistakes.
2: But We're not trying uh, to change people. Exactly, see? you're not trying to change. You're offering we're, people we're, tools. We're, we're not trying to tell this other person they yeah. should forgive this person. All right. uh, our job is that we teach what we want to learn. we're
3: the head of the remedial <laughs> students class. <laughs> we tell everybody this is why we're here. Don't you know that we're still trying but, uh, to get we're this? We're trying stuff. to
2: give ourselves a wake-up call. That's uh, nice. opening a door and whether the person wants to go through the door or not right. that, that, that's their decision but everything's a choice what we're really trying to say everything's a choice in this world yeah well what about this is freedom that what gives us freedom and
3: people. what's what's real important for us is that we don't have any kind of a measuring stick as to how what someone's outcome of their choices are because what happens then like a therapist or a social worker who's working with someone that they're trying to help you have the goal of changing the person as wonderful and as altruistic and as loving as that is they're going to become your enemy, and you're going to wind up petting them if they don't do what you want. It's like a doctor working with someone who's life-threatened. If that patient gets close to dying and they go ahead and die, you're going to feel like you, well, you lost. So we take that whole idea of success a little bit differently, that we know that it's our role here to give everything we possibly can when it's appropriate, but to detach from the results of a person's choices and to respect and honor a person's journey.
1: Well, everybody has their own time as well. And I think a lot of times right. people think that uh, everyone has to be in fall when they have some winters and springs to go through yet. <laughs> right,
3: it's and because it's like
1: it's, they go to the soil and they plant the seed and come back the next day and go, where's the plant? And the soil says, are you new? You know, we've <laughs> <laughs> been here before. You know? And
3: the issue is that they need something to grow there, but not that this person needs to grow at the moment. That's a good point. So we're constantly, mm-hmm. you know, tearing up our scripts for others too. And it's a real important message. And I think the idea, the whole idea of The Course in Miracles, which really are these incredibly beautiful books, but it's not an organization, it's not a religion, you can't don't. To it, you can't organize it, you can't join it. They're books for personal transformation that people from religions all over the world, all different cultures, use to help and assist them to find a deeper um, meaning in their life.
2: Many people are enhanced by going back to their own religion, or they might have yes. uh, gone away from it. I think one of the things we need to learn if we want to find peace of mind also is how to forgive our own religious training. I think lots of times that calls us in a bind, and yeah. we're very angry about what might have happened back there in our own religious training, might have been
1: disappointed. Well, we may have linked something to our religion that had nothing to do with it. I remember reading in one of your books about the experience, I think it was you were in high school and you lost a very close friend in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And then, from I mean, that, that, that point on, you're like, how could God do this yeah, to me? How, how could God be so unfair? How do you help someone who has a belief like, you know, God is unfair. Look at what's happening. The meaning they take from an experience mm-hmm. is is this is a totally unfair experience. Mm-hmm. What would you offer someone like that philosophically with help them to find a new meaning?
2: I, I, I would accept their feeling immediately. I wouldn't want to change their feeling. Right. But I would ask them, are there other ways you might want to look at it? Are you willing to look at th- your right. values differently?
1: So you don't tell them, if you ask willing. them, which is the real key. Yeah. You
2: allow them to come mm-hmm. up with the solutions. Mm-hmm. That's and, uh, we're not really there to, to change that person. Again, we, we want to open that door. And many people are willing to say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really tired of looking at, the, at this way. That's uh, certainly going into silence, uh, getting away from the business. The one of the things Diane and I like doing in the morning, we take The Course of Miracles and we read it. And we, we spend 20 minutes in meditation each morning and we go on a long walk and a, a meditation walk. We think it's really important to get away from that business of the world because when you get caught in that business, it's very easy to think you're there to. To achieve, uh, to do other things, we don't realize that the most important thing we can do is, is to love and, and, and to care and help other people. I agree.
0: The Tony Robbins podcast is directed by Tony Robbins and hosted by Annie Org. Carrie Song is our executive producer, Tyler Culbertson is our associate producer, Brooks Loro is our digital editor. Special thanks to Diane Adcock and Mary Buckheit for their creative review.